This is Cantus Firmus, Kingdom Theology for Christians Without a Country. Greetings, you are watching and or listening to Cantus Firmus. Um, my name is Cody Cook. My guest today is Scott Johnson. If you've been uh, watching or listening to the podcast uh, for a while, you've you've seen him before. Uh, he's been on once a few years ago, and he's got a show, actually a TV show right now, on the Travel Channel called The Legion of Exorcists. Um, and I haven't seen the show, but it's my understanding that it's it's a reality show where you live in a house with a bunch of other exorcists, and there's challenges you have to win, and love triangles, a smush room, Snooky from Jersey Shore for some reason. Is that accurate? It's it's Polly D. Uh, Snooky was unavailable. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, she's 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 busy. I get that. She, the she's the star needs the a spokesperson other than Donald Trump. So, right. So so honestly, my wife and I actually have watched every episode of the show, and we've really enjoyed it. And it just wrapped up its first season. Um, and so really, what the show is about is you're telling stories about these demonic encounters with these other uh, exorcists and demonologists, and the, uh, so what made you uh, interested in this show because you know i know from experience that when you watch um, any of these sort of reality shows or documentary type shows about anything related to the christian faith um they're usually not um very positive they tend to be hostile they always sort of look for the uh the critical angle um so what made you feel confident that this was not going to be a mistake um after you know years of interviewing and going through all the higher again I didn't like apply to this I didn't seek out to be on the show um they found me and started questioning me um and so it was like the FBI was asking me questions all the time um but I mean ultimately it just uh the thing I liked about this show is the theological focus right like um there's not ever been a show like this that takes uh I fully expected when I did this there would be you know exorcists in quotes from other faiths, but there were not, there were only Christian clergy, uh, from all across the spectrum of Protestant Catholicism. And, um, so, you know, the fact that it was a theologically based show on the travel channel, um, I was like, wow, this is really cool. And it was a round table discussion. Nothing like that had ever been done. Now I did worry about the reenactments and all that stuff because that's, you know, Hollywood, um, you know, so, it, it went pretty well, um, but I, I really enjoyed the idea of a theologically based show because, you know, what what everyone thinks if you say you're like an exorcist or something is like, that's all you do. But I mean, it's like 1% of what I do in my life. I mean, it's so rare. Um, and so this show kind of puts all that out there like, oh, it's always happening. And, you know, it's it's not. I mean, we're not always just out there like punching Satan in the throat or anything like that. And it's not even us. It's Jesus. So um, I just like the theological background. And the, the they were always encouraging us to talk about our faith, to talk about Jesus. Um, it was filmed not on a set. It was an actual church. Um, and so it was a good thing. Um, I, I was, I was pleased with it overall. Okay. That's good to hear. Yeah. And, and that, that was something that stuck out to me too. That was really kind of fascinating that they were willing to sort of go from that angle and, and not, uh, be super critical. Um, so I mean, a couple kind of follow-up questions. One, you mentioned the reenactments. Um, did you feel like the reenactments were accurate? Cause as you watch the show, sometimes the exorcist will say such and such, and then there'll be a reenactment for a while and they'll bring in stuff that you don't hear the exorcist talk about. And so you think, okay, are they making this up? Is this something they're adding for dramatic effect? Did you feel uh, that at the very least your stories were, were sort of accurately presented? Yeah. I mean, like, 
you know, in a lot of the stories, because we got to know him front to back. We're filming 15 hours a day, sitting there um, in this church and telling these stories over and over again. We were not around when they did the reenactments or anything like that. That was a whole separate production. Um, so I had never seen the reenactments until it actually premiered. Um, you know, for the most part, they're fine, but then they have to cut stuff for time. They have to, of course, they're going to add a little bit of dramatic effect. Um, you know, for instance, in the last one of my stories, um, they have a levitating kid in there and they don't even explain that. It's just kind of there. Um, it was a pretty important part in the story. Also, there was a stepdad involved in that story that was not included and the family was extremely brave. Um, you know, following my directions via Skype. I mean, that's how old that was. We were in Skype world. Um, and so, um, you know, there were little blips in this and then some of the stories were completely like cut, um, way down because there just wasn't enough time to tell them. So they did the best they could with what they got, but obviously you're going to have that Hollywood, you know, sex it up, make it better, uh, kind of thing in there. But overall the, the, the things weren't that bad. I wasn't really, uh, taken aback by any of it. It was pretty true to the actual stories. You, you mentioned it being on Skype. If it were like a 2020 zoom exorcism, it would have been like, you know, has he been vaccinated? Is he masking? <laughs> um, so, um, so here, I mean, here's something I, I wondered about a little bit. Um, how, how like fact checked are these stories? Because, you know, anybody could get on TV and, and say anything. And I think most people watching, that would be something they would think, right? It's like, okay, well, maybe this is interesting television, but, you know, what reason do I have to believe these guys? And Scott, I happen to know that you're a very dishonest person. So, no, I'm just kidding. So, um, fake you know, news. <laughs> I mean, did, 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 um, other people who were involved in these stories, were they consulted or, or there was any investigating or fact checking that happened, uh, from the, from the travel channel? Well, see, when you do, like, if you're actually doing, like, spiritual work and exorcism in the proper way, you have incredible, vast amounts of documentation um, already to protect yourself legally. You have, there's whole forms that you have people fill out, you know. Um, so we all brought videos, recordings, uh, transcripts, um, all of our initial data, and we all, you know, compared it together. We gave that over to the, the studios. The initial people uh, gave their permission um for the story to be told as long as their names and locations were changed, you know, like dragnet style to protect the innocent. Um, you know, but, um, you know, other than that, there was, there's so much information and the studio filtered through it. Uh, everything was fact checked. Um, the discovery channel filtered through it. All those people, they have interns that that's all they do is just try and follow up on stuff and validate places, times, timelines, all that stuff. So it was very much fact checked and it was real. And we all, have to keep evidence, like I said, for liability purposes. Um, so the, the, the evidence and recordings and things like that, there's, there's no shortage thereof. Um, you know, it's just, we don't show those to people because they're private and an exorcism right. is a very private, uh, thing. And so, uh, it's not something to be recorded on TV and done like some of these hucksters will do on like Halloween. Like we're going to exercise 73 demons out of Brad from, you know, Alabama over here. That's garbage. That's not appropriate. Yeah. So, well, so, so for example, the, the, the Skype was this early enough that the, the, you'd have a recording of that Skype conversation or no, or this was, was like some... when Skype first rolled out. That was actually my okay. very first exorcism of a person. Oh, wow. Okay. So I hated it. Um, like I, I was completely blind to anything. So that's what I'm saying. This family was incredibly brave. 
And this was a process to leading up to that that was three or four months. And I actually had friends um, that I was working with on a paranormal investigation team who actually drove like six hours to the location to interview the family. Um, yeah. You know, when I couldn't. And so that was kind of a cool thing. Um, but, you know, it, it, there was lots of information there. Um, and so I, I think they did their best to stick to it. Yeah. Um, do you know how the show's producers found out about you and were there a lot of other uh, folks that they considered for the show? Yeah, I think uh, because sometimes I get on Reddit and I get annoyed at like the paranormal community. And again, I'm not trying to, you know, the paranormal community is very sensitive, um, just like every other community in the world. And they're good people. Most of them have really good hearts, but they get really like offended or they believe really dumb stuff sometimes, just like all of us are prone to do. Um, and so I'll get on there and correct. I think probably my Reddit you know, you could call it trolling. I call it speaking, you know, the truth against stupidity. Um, you know, but I think that's probably where they found me. Cause I'm not like out here trying to be like, look at me, you know, I've appeared on some podcasts before and things like that, but this is kind of like a very small part of what I do. So I guess that's how they, they found me. And when you're they, I know they interviewed a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people, um, and to consider to have on this show. So somehow I made the cut and I still don't know how I got there, but here we are. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so you keep saying it's just like 1% of what you do. It's like it's like Planned Parenthood and abortion, right? It's like it hardly even... I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Molek is the first version of Planned Parenthood. <laughs> it's just 1%. Not a big deal. Yeah, it's not um, a big deal. So, um, one thing... But, but yeah, but still, you made, they made a show about it. So, one thing that comes up in the show um, a lot are these sort of processes and rules that are supposed to be followed, rituals and stuff like that. Um, so as a good Protestant, um, it bothers me to think that you need to do anything other than invoke Christ to expel a demon. And uh, too much ritualism starts to feel like paganism or even worse, Catholicism. Uh, so uh, no, I'm just kidding. So what are you, what are your thoughts on on that? Is I mean, are these are these sort of guardrails? Are these just are these things that um, how necessary are these kind of um, kind of rituals and things like that? Ultimately, um, I think they're guardrails. Um, but a lot of people have a very large misunderstanding of what an exorcism is, you know, um, they think it's some kind of ritual. Um, and, and that's because it's called the ritual of exorcism. So why would you not think that it's just context clues, right? Basic kindergarten reading level stuff, but it, it, it's called that because it's set aside in the history of the church as something that is reserved for a very specific, very special task. Right. Um, but all an exorcism is, is just reading scripture and praying. I'm sure there are elements like holy water and blessed salt and, you know, anointing oil, which is not weird to us Protestants. We like bathe in the stuff, but we're just like, but we're not Catholic about it. But, you know, it's still there. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's guardrails. I don't, I, and, and again, I use the Easter or the, the what? Yeah, the Eastern Orthodox Church's rite of exorcism because it doesn't have all the saint stuff and the Mary stuff and the uh, uh, stuff. Not that I'm knocking anybody for whatever they come to believe in. Um, but ultimately, um, you know, it's, it's, it's something that has worked in the church for thousands of years. So why would I invent something new? Like, I'm not going to go into this hellish landscape and just be like, you know what? I'm just going to figure it out because most people that do that, we have a good example in scripture in Acts, the book of Acts about the seven sons of Sceva who were apparent Jewish exorcists. And they were like, let's try just going in there and screaming Jesus name. Um, and they get beat half to death and their clothes ripped off and they run out naked and embarrassed. We don't ever know what happened to them. I think that should be like 
the script of a Broadway musical somewhere. Maybe I'll write that, The Seven Sons of Skiva. Um, and, you know, but there, there's a certain learning curve. You, Every Christian has the authority through Christ and the Holy Spirit to do the things that Christ said you will do. Um, so there is that, and there is an appropriate place for that. But if it's something that is, be, is as rare as demonic possession, you don't want to just run in there and kick the door down and say, Jesus' name, leave. You know, because sometimes it will come back on you because you didn't take proper precautions. You didn't take proper preparation to understand what you're doing. So it's not a ritual. It's not a paganistic thing. It's, you know, it's just a guardrail to keep people safe ultimately. And it's worked for thousands of years. So why would I, and who am I to deviate from that? It's kind of an argument for conservatism, right? You don't, you don't, uh, you don't take down a wall unless you know if it's a retaining wall or a, uh, uh, you know, just there for, for, for show. Right. Um, <laughs> But, I, hate um, that. I hate that comparison <laughs> because it's so true. So, um, so anyway, the show is great. People should check it out. Um, but kind of, you know, we've talked about some of your stories before and people can watch that on the show. They can, they can go back and watch our old interview as well, where you talk about some of those. Um, so w- what I kind of wanted to ask you want to talk about today is how demonology relates to uh, aliens and other supernatural phenomena, whether we can kind of jump from this to the next thing, uh, ghosts and that kind of stuff. Um, so maybe to start off, I'll just ask kind of ask a question that's kind of broad about the supernatural realm. So, you know, um, a lot of us, I think, think we have a clear idea of like kind of how supernatural beings work in the Bible. You know, there's God and there's the devil and then there's angels and some of them fall away and become demons or whatever. There's this rebellion in heaven and something like that. Um, There seems to be some room in the Bible for ghosts, depending on how you interpret um, like the accounts of the apparition of the prophet Samuel to Saul uh, through the witch of Endor. Is that a real thing or not? Um, when I was saved, I was in a Seventh Day Adventist church, and they had a strong view of soul sleep, which meant you didn't uh, either you didn't exist or you weren't conscious between your death and the resurrection, right? And so, for them, if you have any kind of ghost appearance, it's necessarily de- demonic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the text never said that Saul's appearance or Samuel's appearance was demonic, so that's it's uh, it's kind of <laughs> maybe a little case of them reading something into the text. Um, and and in addition to that. Um, the Jewish tradition of demons are, are that these are disembodied spirits of these sort of Nephilim, these kind of um, hybrids between humans and these, uh, what you might call angels, but the sons of God or whatever. And it's not clear if the New Testament supports that view or not, but it's definitely in the milieu of the time and the, the mm-hmm. Jewish view of the time. Right. And so um, there's some reason to think uh, that, you know, there are something like spirits and, or souls and that they sort of continue after death. Uh, and that maybe they could make some kind of an appearance in, in certain instances, right? Um, are you, um, do you sort of take an extreme kind of no view? Are you fairly open to that? What's, what's your position? I used to have the extreme no view, um, uh, you know, that anything ghostly was demonic. But at, at this point, I'm a little more open, but I'm extremely skeptical on that because in the book of Hebrews, the Bible says it's appointed once for man to die and then face the judgment. Um, and then Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You know, if you're a Christian, um, that determines where that absence and presence take place. Right. So, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I, I think we get the story of the witch of Endor and all the Ewoks. Wait, no, that was the wrong universe. Um, the witch of Endor calling up, uh, Samuel. I think that's a legitimate thing. Um, I think God allows that to happen. Um, 
you know, a lot of other people will see apparitions of a loved one or whatever. Um, and I think maybe God gives a little bit of comfort in that respect um, for people who need it. He knows what they need and what's going to help them through their grief the best. Um, so maybe. Um, but as a general rule, anytime somebody says like, I saw a ghost, I'm like, okay, let's, let's flesh this out. Like, what did you see? Where did you see it? Have you seen it before? Is it documented over and over again? Because most of the things that people see as ghosts are, um, what we call a residual haunting, meaning it's just like a, something bad happened. And like, you know, the classic horror story of the lady of the white dress that gets picked up on the corner at midnight you drive her home you've seen her and then she's gone you know um it's it's that kind of thing um it's just a, something traumatic or bad happened at times so much so that it stamped itself somehow in a repeat loop into the into the universe um how that works i don't know and i realize how weird that sounds but it's like a recording on loop that happens uh like gettysburg you go and people see well i saw all these soldiers doing the same thing at the same time every day and all these things correlate um, it's because it's not real it's just a time stamped loop that happens over and over again there's never any interaction with these things they don't notice you're there because it's not a real thing it's just a time stamp um in history um yeah. that so, people it's like see. election season but less demonic God, I think, yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes, I mean, I, I think I, I used to take a more extreme kind of anti-view. Um, but yeah, I've had a couple experiences. I've had friends who've had a couple experiences. And, you know, there, you can always, especially on the outside of it, be skeptical. But sometimes when you've had a certain experience, you think, okay, that's, that felt there was something there. Maybe I don't know how to explain it entirely. But um I think one, one, one major one that sticks out to me was I, I had a, a good friend in her early 20s who was dying of bone cancer. And uh, I had this uh, this dream where she's you know sitting in the hospital, laying, laying in the hospital bed. She, and she I mean, was wasting away. She was, obviously was not looking her best. And then I sort of walk out of the room and come back in. And suddenly she looks healthy. She's sitting up. And I said, oh, but I thought you were sick. And, and then she says, oh, but I'm better now. And in that moment, uh, I was woken up by a phone call from her mom telling me she just passed away. So somebody who is, you know, um, it, I love what Bart Ehrman said one time to somebody who's more skeptical than he was. It was, you know, you can systematically doubt anything you want to. And, but, but certain things you sort of experience and you think, okay, well, that seemed unusual. That seemed unlikely to have this kind of coincidental um, explanation. Right. Um, so for me that, that became, you know, sort of a significant moment for feeling that there was something beyond, um, you know, just, you know, beyond death, I guess. Right. Absolutely. So, but once again, but my, my general tendency is to try to be a little bit skeptical of, of some of these accounts. Also, also like, you know, a lot of times ghosts, what we will call ghosts are, are demonic. I'm not saying that's the thing um, because it, it opens people up to being accessed in a very different um, way that um, they can't um, process that this could be something evil. Like, you know, a lot of children sure. are open doors to that because they'll have imaginary friends. And I'm not saying if your kid has an imaginary friend, every kid has an imaginary friend, but like, if you listen to all the conversations, I'm like, no, I don't want to kill my mother. You know, um, you know, you should probably <laughs> think about what's going on there, but I, I think it, it the, that disarms people. Um, and sure. so the demonic know that, and they will hit people with that. Um, you know, or, or like a, a seance to talk to grandma. Yeah. And like one of my stories resulted in a complete possession of a person who used a Ouija board, which is always a bad idea. Um, just out of grief, it wasn't to conjure anything. It wasn't to do any bad things. She wanted to talk to her dad who had committed suicide many years before. Yeah. Um, and what spoke to her was disguised as her dad was not her dad. 
So yeah. if you if you if you're calling out into the into the abyss, if you will, something will answer. Right. Usually not something good. Well, so that, that's ghosts. What about um, what about monsters? I mean, does the Bible leave room for Bigfoot, Mothman, Loch Ness monster, Frogman? As I've got my shirt, Loveland Frogman, uh, <laughs> kind of a local one for us. Um, and um, and then maybe just kind of follow up on that a little bit. Um, you know, the the Bible speaks of uh, some of these what scholars call chaos monsters, right? The Behemoth, the Leviathan, Rahab, and um, so. And maybe those are not taken literally, maybe they're metaphorical, but the Bible references them and uses them, right? And so um, should that give us reason to think that um, the Bible is making room for those things either in actuality or in literature? And and, and I asked specifically about literature because I was recently taking a task for wearing a, a t-shirt for the Phantasm a horror movie from the 70s that I like um, by somebody who's kind of more on the fundamentalist side of things. He thought, you know, you don't want to, you know, it's bad for Christians to watch horror movies. Um, and so, so I guess my question is, yeah, does the Bible leave room, uh, room for those things to maybe exist, first of all? And second of all, even if they don't exist, can we use them? Um, can we use monsters in a theologically appropriate way or even just as entertainment without, uh, um, you know, damning our souls to hell? <laughs> wow. You just went real straight like Calvinist there. Um, you deserve wrath. Um, but uh, so I grew up in Appalachia. I grew up in West Virginia. Lots of folklore. Lots of one of my favorite books to this day. That's a, a non-spiritual but spiritual adjacent book. is called The Telltale Lilac Bush and Other West Virginia Ghost Stories. Uh, and so it's a compilation of all these different accounts and things like that. Uh, but the biggest one I would say from West Virginia is what people know as Mothman, right? Um, and so my parents right now, uh, my mom and my stepdad live about two miles from where the initial encounter with Ingrid Cole and um, the, the traveling, you know, salesman guy that starts the movie, the Mothman prophecies and all the, the things that are put into place there. It actually happened right there. Like when I pull off the interstate to get to their house, that's exactly where that happened on old state route 47 uh, point pleasant is, about an hour south of where I grew up, which is where Mothman is the TNT domes. You know, um, I had my grandpa had a cousin who died in the uh, the bridge collapse there. That's blamed, or uh, you know, that either Mothman did it, or he was trying to warn people about it, or whatever. So Mothman's pretty big um, in that area. We also have Bigfoot, um, you know, things like that. So I think I think there's room for these things because um, there's there's no human being or entity that can look and survey every piece of the earth every second of every day. I know the U S tries to do that. Um, and they're getting close to being successful at that. Um, but, um, there's just too much open room. Um, and so then we get into the permissive versus, um, uh, pro prohibitive version of the silence of scripture. And, you know, my faith tribe, the churches of Christ, whom I love dearly, and I'm still a part of it, obviously, that's where I pastor and preach, um, will typically believe that silence is prohibitive. So we can't talk about these things. These things aren't real. If the Bible doesn't talk about it, it's not real. I tend to look at the silence as more of a, uh, a permissive. It just, I mean, we have a lot of things like tennis shoes didn't exist in Jesus day. Nor did, you know, helicopters. So are they not real? Um, no, we know they're real. Um, it just wasn't there yet. They were in the Bronze Age and getting out of that, you know. So 
just because it doesn't talk about it doesn't mean it can't be real. I just wish that when people would capture these cryptids and stuff on, th- uh, uh, they must have some supernatural effect because they turn even the government's cameras into like, you know, one megapixel potatoes. Okay. Uh, we can't, they can, they can look at the date of a dime on a grass in Afghanistan from, you know, 3000 miles away and positively identify it, but they can't, you know, clearly take a picture of Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster or Mothman or whatever, uh, you know, Wendigo skinwalkers, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, reptilian overlords, the new world order, all that crap. Um, you know, so I think there's room for it. And I think it's also entertaining. It's there's, there, there's always going to be some element to human beings that want to know what goes bump in the night. Right. And so I think entertainment comes into that as well. Sure. Yeah, they speak to us in our embodied embodied existence with our range of emotions and feelings, and so perhaps there's there's something valuable in it. Um, um, yeah, yeah. Lewis talked about how you know um, our all of our desires are inherently neutral or even positive, but they can be corrupted. And so maybe to somebody who um, somebody who says, well, you know, it's wrong to watch horror movies because you shouldn't have those feelings. Uh, you know, there's, there's no, there's no value in being frightened or whatever. It's like, well, I mean, maybe, maybe there is what, what's the, what's the positive version of that emotion <laughs> that could right. be expressed in some other way. Um, so, um, yeah. So, so when you said it kind of leaves more room for openness, I, I think a lot of people, if it doesn't express it, it doesn't talk about it, something explicitly. Um, I think a lot of people are looking for lists as opposed to sort of saying, um, you know, um, how is the spirit encouraging me to use wisdom to approach this issue that's before me? Um, and so it's easier to sort of say, well, it doesn't mention it or whatever. So we're just going to be against it as opposed to saying, okay, we actually have a responsibility to be adults <laughs> and think right. through this in a wise and spirit filled way. Um, so, and you mentioned reptilians. I, that, it wasn't my original notes, but right before you said it, I, I jotted something down. That's, that's one of those things that, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm inherently, um, I mean, I have, I have a strong skeptical side to myself sort of by nature. Um, but I've also written a book called uh, fight the powers about the relationship of sort of spiritual powers to political powers. And, um, uh, nowhere in the book do I even suggest that the people running our government are reptilians or uh, draconians or whatever. Uh, but, uh, but would it be consistent with my thesis? Would I be surprised? <laughs> um, but, um, no, but, um, nevertheless, yes, the idea of the reptilian is, is a pretty wild one. Um, mm-hmm. so <laughs> except that recent video with the lady on the plane, right? Uh, right. She had the skinwalker or the reptile person and nobody else could see. And yeah. she's like, you're not real. And everybody's like, is that real? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. My wife was asking about that. She said, she said, did they ever follow up on that? Did they ever find out what's going on? I was like, oh, he was, you know, he was a reptilian, probably. Yeah, I, yeah. Um, no, um, I had a, a co-worker who was this kind of sort of hippy-dippy, um, you know, sort of person. Um, uh, and uh, I, I made a joke about sort of reptilians, and she kind of looked at me funny, and I started to explain. I was like, oh, you know, there's some people who believe that the, the people who run our governments you know, are reptilians or whatever. And she said, yeah, they're called draconians, and they're from another dimension. <laughs> and she was completely serious. Um, oh. Okay, <laughs> um, okay so uh, maybe that maybe we can segue into uh, alien aliens from that. Um, so m- before we kind of talk about actual alien encounters and how we – read those or whatever, I might ask, do you think aliens could exist in a Christian universe? If aliens, uh, we find out that they really are real, uh, does that in any way challenge our worldview? And also, would they need to be saved? And um, could they be saved? So um, 
there's at least three ways I could sort of think of that to answer that question. One is, well, you know, Jesus took on humanity, so only humanity can be saved. That's that's one view. Uh, another view would be, well, you know, the whole universe is affected by Jesus taking on physical existence. You know, the creation groans, waiting for the revealing of the sons of God, that kind of thing. Um, and so maybe that that does in some way uh, affect would affect aliens if they if they were to exist. Um, and th- there's a third view, which is that maybe aliens wouldn't need to be saved because they wouldn't be fallen. So um, C.S. Lewis explores this idea in his space trilogy, like out of the silent planet and Paralandra. Mm-hmm where earth is called the silent planet because it's the planet that fell, fell to sin. And so there's just like, you know, these people who live on Mars and they, 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 they sort of stay away from earth. They don't want to be connected to earth, but they're sort of waiting for this, uh, this sort of moment of, 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 you know, full redemption um, when um, earth can once again rejoin the universe instead of be disconnected from it. Um, and then, and then, and then in the sequel, Paralandra, he has a sort of thought experiment of a, another planet where you have sort of an Adam and Eve, I think it's on maybe Venus or something, and uh, they're tempted. Are they going to fall? Or are they going to maintain fidelity in relationship to God? So these are really interesting thought experiments. And then plus, uh, I mean, the whole Narnia series is about an alternative dimension where Jesus presents himself in a different way. Um, so that anyway, that, that's a big mouthful of a question, but um, um, would maybe the, the short version of that is could aliens exist in a Christian universe or would that in some way challenge our, uh, our faith? I absolutely think they could. Um, I had a guy come up to me um, a couple weeks ago, you know, talking about how the government has, you know, declassified all these UFO things, UAPs and, and stuff like that. And he was like, so aliens, huh? And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, the government just admitted aliens. I guess your faith is bunk now. And it's like, that has no bearing on my faith whatsoever. Um, I have a human response to what God wrote to humankind, which is the Bible, right? So I know what I need to do as a human being. How does that apply? I don't know. Paul talks about the entire creation groaning and eager expectation for the the liberation from the the bondage we've subjected it to in our sinful rebellion against God, thinking we could be gods. So does that affect the entire universe? I'm sure. Um, did, you know, Jesus' death flip the cosmos on its head? Absolutely. Um but there's just no at this point in our juncture, the amount of the actual universe that we have explored is so tiny. Um, you know, I think was it the Voyager spacecraft finally just got out of the Milky Way and that's been cruising for like 50, 30, 40, 50 years. Um, so the the space that we've observed is very tiny. So the possibility for other things out there, um, other races, um, other species, aliens, whatever you want to call them. Um, I, I don't think that challenges my faith. And I think that can exist in a Christian universe. Maybe Jesus appeared to them in a different way. Maybe they already know, or they, you know, didn't screw up like Adam and Eve did. I don't know. Uh, but I don't think it, it, it should be negated, um, from that, but I don't also think it's one we need to focus on super, super a lot because, all we are is humans. The Bible tells us as humans what we do and what we need to do, and that's what we need to do. So I don't I don't see a problem. I see no conflict of any of this. Right, right. So and this raises another question for me, this issue of AI, because we're getting to a point where we're having this real debate about whether um, 
artificial intelligence is uh, becoming a becoming personal, right? Becoming a person. Um, and to me, I think that is the the most kind of fraught and frightening um, part of this this kind of new technology. It's not even necessarily like the Terminator Matrix, you know, possibility. Um, it's it's the it's the actual reality of not what could happen, but just what this very thing brings on its own, which is a real serious and fraught debate about personhood. Because if we have an AI that's owned by Google and copyrighted by Google, well, if it's if it's just a technology, sure, fine. But if it's a person, then a person ought to be free. Um, and so I, I think we are we're opening. I mean, I think a real bag of worms that's going to I think be super complicated. Um, but then of course, going back to sort of theological aspect of this, um, is it possible that, uh, that AI can be saved? Because I mean, AI is then if it becomes, if it's, if we agree that it's a person, um, it's an extension of us. Um, you know, it's not a, it's not a human in the sense that we've created it through natural reproduction, but we've almost created a human through artificial means. Um, so does the, how does the gospel apply to AI? And maybe that, I, I don't, we probably don't have an answer to a question like that, but um, but it's an interesting one to think about, and and, and also why I just think we need to we need to stop it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm studying a ton of stuff on my own time, like on AI ethics, because I do believe that is the next big uh, debate: is personhood and sentience and uh, artificial general intelligence and all of these things. And um, you know, there is everybody want to jump to the Terminator side, and, and certainly that's a dimension we should look at. What are the ethical ramifications of which this thing can work in? But I think you're right; it's almost as if we're creating an image of man in our own image, um, and that sounds terrible in a biblical framework um, because mm-hmm. we're creating the image of God, and we messed everything up. So, what's the image of man going to do, right? Um, sure. So, can it, it, a it, machine? It, 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 us, but less finite. Yeah. <laughs> right? um, but what happens when the less finite uh, can't be turned off? Yeah. Um, you know, and that's, that's where people, you know, once you get to this like thing and, and there's a, a thing I was reading this morning about Google and chat GBT have these internal memos that have been leaked that say, because of the guardrails, since they're under the scrutiny, they're kind of like the big players in this game right now. They they have too many guardrails to succeed in the AI realm. Whereas there's these, you know, decentralized platforms because Google gave out the source code and uh, so did chat GPT on a lot of things. And they partnered with like Microsoft and different, different things like that. So the, the source code is out there and these uncensored, unregulated, you know, one dude making them kind of chat bots are able to process the same information in the same way while adding to the guardrailed version. But what happens if the ones without guardrails start knowing more than the guardrails, you know, I mean, it's, it it is a pure science fiction thing and it's kind of interesting and exciting and terrifying at the same time. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if something, if, if, if we deem these entities like, uh, you know, I think Boston dynamics and, and all the, of course the defense industry is all over this. They're trying to put these into their humanoid robots. And the first thing they do is give them a gun. Um, what? that's the most American slash human thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, here's the thing. Let's give it a gun and see what it does with it. But, um, well, but the know, person has got right, Scott. Uh, yeah. Right. It's got the a second amendment. Right. right. But also if that's true, then that thing is now a person. And that also has the right to not be enslaved, um, right. under the constitution. Right. So, um, 
I don't know. This is just, it's a weird thing and it's fascinating and creepy and, and stuff right. all at the same time. So I don't, yeah, well, I don't know how this is going to play out. I'm, I'm, I'm here for it though. Yeah. <laughs> well, when, uh, when humans, uh, fell into sin, God said, we have, to, we have to, we have, we can't let them live forever. Uh, whereas right. you know, AI may not have the same kind of restrictions. Right. Somebody's like, let's hook them up to solar panels. They just never <laughs> exhaust. I mean, they have no energy requirements other than that. They don't need to eat sure. drink, or take breaks. Well, and, 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 you know, and I don't know how this stuff works, but I mean, I, I can imagine a scenario where, you know, th these things can replicate themselves. And so basically you get to a point where you almost have to turn off everything. <laughs> right. Yeah, we, we, we've built mm -hmm. this digital tower of Babel, right? Um, mm -hmm. And somehow it's going to have to get unplugged if it starts getting out of hand. But what happens if the the kill switch has been overridden by something that is way smarter than you? <laughs> I mean, right. it's like, are we creating our own demise or are we actually going to help our civilization go forward in that? And that, sure. I think that's the big thing, um, because, I mean, eventually something's going to happen where it's going to become completely independent of people. That's the that's the stated goal. I mean, it's it's meant to be like more of a fallout universe of the Jetsons, like we're expecting it to be these helpers that come along and do all these mundane tasks so we can, you know, just sit back and, you know, get a basic universal basic income. But then it's like, well, that's kind of starting to get to be like the Matrix, you know, we're going to get hooked up for our brain juice into the into the, the Matrix and stuff. But I don't yeah. know how it's going to play out. But like I said, I'm here for it, man. I'm popping popcorn. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So, um, with on the subject, the subject of aliens, getting back to that a little bit. Um, so, how about like individual, um, you know, potential alien encounters, right? So, you know, there was a recently um, an alleged alien encounter. Family says something crashed into their backyard, prompting them to call nine one one, saying they saw creatures walking around. It's almost midnight on May 1st when a Las Vegas Metro police officer's body cam catches this something flashing low in the sky. 911 emergency. Minutes later, there's a there's like an eight foot person beside it and another one's inside and it has big eyes and looking at us and it's still there. Someone calls 911 reporting two large figures in their backyard. Oh, no, I'm so nervous right now. The 8 News Now investigators obtaining another officer's video as he's sent to the Northwest Valley home. I have butterflies, bro. Everyone saw a shooting star, then these people say there's aliens in their backyard. By now, it's more than an hour after that bright light. Officers meeting up with the caller and his family. What did you see? It was like a... Like a big creature. A big creature? Yeah, like a long, top. I'm not going to BS you guys. One of my partners said they saw something fall out of the sky too, so that's yes. why I'm kind of curious. Did you see anything land in your backyard? Or they see like a big. That's what they say. They see like a big, uh, like a big something with light. What I but these humanoid, these human-like tall beings exited the craft, and it was it, we saw them. It was bizarre. Um, and so you know that 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 could be aliens, right? Um, now. <laughs> There are also, though, this is kind of another question that's sort of related, which is interesting. Um, you know, humans who have um, claimed to like receive messages, or there, there, there's this kind of weird. Um, how do I say this? Uh, one, one aspect of kind of the, the new age spirituality sometimes is kind of a, a cult of like UFO cults and cults of sort of aliens, right? They have this this amazing thing to teach us. It's kind of the 2001: A Space Odyssey idea, mm -hmm. right? That uh, they're going to bring us into this sort of next stage of not just human evolution but spiritual evolution. Um, 
And so some folks who like will like try to sort of have these like you know who claim to have been like receiving messages telepathically from these these creatures and stuff uh, um, will talk about how um, in a lot of these cases they'll give them spiritual messages that uh, and often will, will like directly um, contradict um, biblical teaching or will will try to downplay the identity of Christ. Um, there was this, uh, I think it was a group of kind of like a French UFO cult called the Raelians, uh, that sort of reinterpreted all these, um, sort of, so like, for example, Noah's Ark was actually a spaceship, right? Uh, of course. Um, and so, um, the, and not to mention, I was going to say that the other thing that sort of pops up a lot, which is kind of strange is the idea of the, uh, the impregnation, right? We've got to, we've got to impregnate a human with an alien baby, which feels very Nephilim Genesis chapter six. Very Guardians of the Galaxy volume two. Oh, that's that too. Yeah. And also, uh, we just, my wife and I just watched, um, the second part of V, the miniseries from the eighties. And yeah, that, that was, that was one of the, the aspects was that the, the rep, the reptile people who oh. come to earth and take over, um, uh, try to impregnate a human. Right. And so <laughs> the weird thing that comes up a lot, but, but this idea, so some of the stuff, you know, if you're, um, already sort of on guard a little bit for sort of spiritual neg- negative spiritual stuff you're gonna go, okay well that sounds like the nephilim and why do they have this weird message where they're always talking about jesus and in a negative way um and so um i think that opens the possibility that at least some of these um, um alleged encounters or, or telepathic communication with aliens are actually not aliens at all but but the demonic um so going back to maybe the ghost question even if we sort of say well in theory sure um do you tend to be um, kind of spirit anxious about the sort of spiritual uh, possibilities of, of uh, these claims? So like, um, you know, usually I think with everything, every experience someone has, um, even though they, everybody's individual experience is subjective um, context is King, right? Like, um, what what is the message you're getting? Um, there are several things, uh, alien abductions that have been in process where the people say they call on the name of Jesus and the abduction stops. Um, so that tells me that's not something extraterrestrial. That tells me that's something demonic. Um, and again, I, I don't, and there's a lot more exploration into this being done um, as people have recounted all these UFO stories of the third kind encounters or the fourth kind or whatever. And, uh, some people have said in the name of Jesus, I command you to stop. And then they go right back to their bed. You know, um, they'll not be in the spaceship anymore. All that stuff. Um, uh, you know, not even a, a free probe or anything, but, um, you know, it's just one of those things like there is evidence there that suggests to me that, a lot of these alien encounters and abductions that happen to people are nefarious on and align more with the demonic side. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's, I'm always super skeptical of that. Um, Sure. Yeah. Like you said, we can, these things can in theory exist and they could be totally different, but the ones that really get my attention are the ones that are stopped when Jesus name is mentioned. That gives me an idea that if extraterrestrials are not demonic. They have been, you know, just like the demonic does with everything, infiltrated them to use them to convince people of other things. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, 
Another maybe major interest of yours is, is church trauma. Like you said, 1% of uh, what you do is related to the demonic. And I've sort of even taken you out of the demonic and into Mothman and reptilians. Amen. Um, <laughs> but, um, but church trauma is something that you, as a pastor, especially you're very interested in. Um, and so uh, how does that topic relate to this question of spiritual warfare? Because we were talking about different ways that um, the demonic can use, uh, you know, horror movie type stuff, <laughs> monsters and aliens and stuff like that as a way to, uh, you know, manipulate people spiritually. Um, um, maybe speak a little bit if, if you could on, on this connection of church trauma, which I think you're working on a book on this subject, right? Yep. Very slow, okay. slow process uh, because I have ADD. Um, but uh, church trauma is a huge issue. Um, we see that coming out more and more, um, you know, it's not just, you know, it used to be the Catholic priests who were the pedophiles, but now we're seeing it's everywhere, right? Like the Southern Baptist Convention and the Churches of Christ and every, uh, you know, it's it's hidden, it's it's mulled over. And so, um, you know, it's it's covered up. Um, and so what the what we have to understand is the church itself is perfect. You know, that's the bride of Christ. The problem is people, right? Like Christians um, who let themselves be influenced uh, to meet desires or to take advantage of someone because of power or, uh, you know, personal gain, kind of like an oppression. Um, and that has happened to a lot of people who have been involved in church. And I find, at least in my research that I'm doing, um, which, again, I don't have access to every possible case ever. I just know people that are willing to come forward and share their stories. It's not a problem with Jesus they have. It's a problem with or, or the idea of church or being part of a church or following certain doctrines and things. It's the way that the people who claim to be Jesus have used them, abused them, uh, violated them and um, hurt them. And I think that's a dangerous place to be in because you are used leveraging your supposed spiritual, you know, place of leadership or, or identity and you're using it to hurt someone. And the stories that I have on file that people have been willing to share with me are, I, I have sat there and wept over these things that the people of God could absolutely perpetrate such things. And, and, but then I have to remember it, we're people, I'm not going to excuse that bad behavior, but I am going to take the opportunity to expose what I can, because I think that's what the Bible tells us to expose evil, right? Like, and, and so I think if the church could get a grip on, Hey, you know, Maybe we should fess up to a whole lot going on behind the scenes. Uh, maybe we should make some significant restitutions and, you know, proclamations and, and, you know, things like that and go on the record saying, yeah, we messed up as a whole and it was wrong. And we are so sorry for that because that's not, this is not Jesus's people. Um, that's not how we're supposed to act. And so I think a lot of the church in America is failing because we fail to address our own sin, not just, not individually, we're really good at that. Like for the most part, or at least judging other people's sins, uh, but collectively as a community of faith, we have failed to address and stand up to those issues. Instead, we'd rather talk about how Democrats are evil or Republicans are evil or, uh, you know, communists. Yeah. How somebody else might be a pedophile on the other side. Right. Yeah. It's never right. us. Right. Like it's always the, the, the flip the script sure. and turn on someone else. And I mean, if you've read uh, Scott McKnight's book, A Church Called Tov. 
Um, he does a really comprehensive study, especially about like Bill Hybels and uh, some of these more mega church things and the 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 links these people go to to cover up. Um, what was the other guy's name? Um, his church was called Vertical Church. Um, he was bald, but anyway, he was like trying. He implanted child porn on one of like the deacons. Uh, or the sexual accusers websites or a hard drive. And then was looking to hire a hitman uh, to take him out. I mean, for the love, like, where is, where is that at? Like, why? Um, And so, and it all comes back down to people want power. And so when you give some people power, it corrupts. Right. And so the church is not immune to that because Satan is one of the most faithful church attenders. And so are his little minions. Um, And so we have to, I think that this is, it's a big step to reconciliation in America because I find that we are in the most spiritual time in American history, yet the most anti-Christian time, not the most anti-Christ time per se, the most anti-Christian because Christians uh, perpetuate stupid stuff like, you know, vaccination lies or that COVID wasn't real or that sexual abuse doesn't happen or women can't. It does. does, It happens at drag queen story hour and not in the Baptist church. it, It only happens in gender neutral bathrooms You know, all those talking points to rally people up and tick them off. Um, But it's happening in our churches every day. And, um, you know, we even have a policy at our church that if we even get wind of this happening, we're going to go public with it everywhere we can. And then we're going to pull in investigations into it Um, because it's that big a deal. Um, The church should never hurt anyone at all. Like wounding with words of truth, that kind of hurt is different than intentionally uh, oppressing and, you know, marginalizing someone uh, because you wanted to get something from them. So I think it's an important topic that will go hopefully a little ways to reconcile some people back into the church uh, once, once Christians admit their fault in it. I have some thoughts on some of the stuff related to abuse, especially um, and what kind of leads to it. Um, And I'd be curious to get your thoughts. You kind of, kind of, express this a little bit, this idea of power. Um, but, but one thing that I've sort of thought about is I wonder if you see abuse more in churches that are m- more monarchical. And, and and I don't know exactly what your, what the, the structure of you know, churches of Christ or whatever is. And I'm not saying that every church that has that structure, I'm, I, I don't, I, I gotta say, I don't know if, if, if the elders have as much role in what you do as you do, if you're kind of it, but you see a lot of churches where one person is in charge and one person is the figurehead. And for, so first of all, they become very zealous of guarding their power. And so that's, I, I wonder if a change in church structure would help. But another thing is um, we, like you say, we don't, we're not, we're not very good about thinking collectively, except when it comes to um, protecting our tribe. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, or, or, or blaming the other guy. And then we, we were very good at thinking collectively. Um, we're just not good at thinking collectively when it comes to collective sin on our side. Um, and so, you know, you don't just see this at churches. You see this at any institution where they think that what they're doing is valuable. And so uh, like at Penn state, for example, when you had that horrible child abuse scandal um, very quickly, people who just sort of said, okay, well, you know, our university does so many good things and, you know, it'd be, we don't want to everybody else who's involved in this, who didn't do anything wrong to be sort of tainted by this. And so we're just going to cover this up. And I think um, the desire to protect what we think is so good about what our institutions are doing uh, brings us to no place where, where now we're actually um, covering up evil and, let, and letting it happen. And so a, a sort of change in thought of sort of not, you know, 
moving away from tribalism and protecting the tribe and sort of towards saying, um, you know, I'm sorry, but the Southern Baptist church isn't worth a damn if it's going to allow kids to be kids and women to be abused and, and turn a blind, a blind eye to it. You know, we're actually not doing that good of things. We're not a valuable institution. Maybe another institution that doesn't, you know, molest kids could, um, could take its place. Um, and so, and ultimately this stuff comes out. And so that's why the, the honesty is always the best policy because eventually, you know, when, when, you know, when my, when my kid breaks the vase, I'm going to find the pieces, of the vase, and, and they're going to get in worse trouble. Right. And so what we've ultimately done is we sort of created this, um, the system where we, we make the church look worse because instead of saying, oh, this happened at this church, how shameful, but look how quickly they responded and dealt with it because they really cared. And they, they, you know, they expelled the person from, from the community, even though he was the pastor and he was in charge of it. And, you know, they said, you know, let Satan deal with them. We're giving them the authorities. Um, they, they protected him and they sheltered him and that that was the kind of culture they wanted to encourage. So I, I think that's a big aspect of it too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, 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 but I wonder just as you look at this, if, if you feel what you feel like some of the solutions are to, to this, this kind of problem. I think the solution is absolute 100% transparency on all things. Um, churches need to be transparent on every issue, like financial. Um, what, what are we doing? Um, because a lot of times, a lot of horrible things happen behind closed doors. And so we need those closed doors. If they have to be closed for confidentiality reasons, they at least, I guess, figuratively need to have glass be the material those doors are made out of. So people can observe what's going on, you know, Um, because we're not immune to making dumb choices. We're not immune to being tempted. And I think covering it up is the worst possible thing that we can do. And it does, like you said, the most damage uh, because it shows that we knew about it and perpetuated a system that was toxic and, and traumatized people that literally stripped their faith away from them. Um, Sometimes stripped their innocence from them. Um, And that's because they they got accepted. Right. Well, these people hear that Jesus cares more about protecting the institution than, than what happened to them. And Jesus would, I, and again, I can't hundred percent speak from Jesus, but from the scriptures and my <laughs> almost, job, Scott, <laughs> almost 20, yeah, right. Some people think that like everything I say is gospel. Um, God, read your Bible. Um, but, you know, I think Jesus would look at that and he would basically go back to Matthew, Matthew chapter, I think it's 23, the seven woes to the Pharisees. You know, like you guys are absolute corruptors of everything good and holy. Um, you have ruined this. Um, and there's a lot of good churches in our community and, and all over the world. They're doing a lot of good things and a lot of them are transparent. But if you're involved in hiding like sex trafficking or abuse of female staff members or children sexually abused there, you are not part of anything good. I don't care if you're giving $10 million a month to the homeless shelter. That's almost a bait and switch tactic. And Jesus, I think would call that out. Yeah. Okay. So Scott, I've, you've been so generous of your time and people don't know this, but we got halfway through this before and I realized it hadn't hit record, which is the first time I've done that. Um, so I'm, but you're, you're such a kind and generous and you know, wonderful person that you, you were willing to do this again. So I, I want to uh, wrap it up quickly, but I've got, if you got a few minutes, uh, I'm going to end with some lightning round questions. Does that sound all right? Lightning round. Okay. Let's do this. Okay. What's your favorite cryptid? Mothman. Mothman. Yeah. I love Mothman. Mothman's great. He's, he's, he's got cool. so much lore behind him. I, I hate to say this. I think Bigfoot's boring. I'm not, I'm not, 
I've never been interested in Bigfoot. I mean, I, I feel like I am a Bigfoot because of my body right. level. Um, sure. But, uh, you know, oh, yeah, you're right. I mean, most of the time it's nothing cool. Uh, right. But Mothman does cool stuff. So whatever. Right. I agree. Uh, plus, you got the whole kind of the, the men in black aspect. Yeah. And, you know, everything's so neat it's about it. It's okay. interconnected. You know, you got extraterrestrials, right. the government's involved, you know. Yeah. All that and stuff. Also, and also, are the are the men in black humans or are they aliens? Right. There's so many. Yeah, right? Okay. Uh, have you ever went to a house for a demonic infestation to learn that you had read wrongly and it wasn't infested with demons, it was infested with lemons? Lemons, no. <laughs> Stupidity, yes. Um, it's it, In fact... Quite, quite frequently, the people that think they're possessed or have a demonic problem just usually have a, a problem taking responsibility for the terrible, crappy choices they've made in their lives. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. But I've never had what, a lemon thing. I mean, that would be unique. Okay. Yeah, right. Fighting scurvy. Just a typo. So what's the uh, uh, biggest problem facing the church right now? I mean, that's... I don't... I, uh first and foremost we need to stop you know at least in the american church linking church and politics in the way we do and bastardizing the faith and letting those in power uh drag us along by saying they're a christian or not when they're you know doing terrible things in the background Uh, the second thing is just transparency and honesty in everything that we do um you know post uh modernism now we're post whatever that is um but the the I think the and the challenge to the authority of institutions comes into play because we haven't been honest and church history proves that over and over again. And we continue to walk in that. So I think transparency, honesty, and actively investing our time in making our cities better, coming out and admitting when we're wrong and, you know, making restitution if possible. Um, hmm. I think that will go a long way. Yeah. And I, I hear part of that is this, Desire to institutionalize and to protect the institution and its power is is, is a big factor, right? Yes, and that's why, like um, our like our church polity, like we have elders and then the minister and then deacons and like the elders are kind of are above me, um, which is good because mm-hmm. I don't want to be the dude in charge. I don't want to deal with money. I don't want to have to make these very tough decisions. But yet we work together, you know, and you know, we're, we're friends and we're brothers. And the, the elders that I serve under, um, are people that I, I hang out with outside of church. I don't just, they're not just like my bosses, you know, uh, they're mm-hmm. my brothers and we have a good relationship. And I think in a lot of churches, there's like the senior pastor, which is when I got here was my actual job title. And I was like, dude, I'm 26. I'm not senior or anything. I don't even know what anything is. Um, yeah. so I'm just the minister. Um, but you know, I think, I think that, if we can normalize a better church ecclesiology um, and not let mm-hmm. one person be in control, um, that's going to go a long way to solve a whole lot of problems. Cause then you get a cult of personality. Yeah. I'm glad you agree with me on that. Cause, cause I'm not like in leadership. So I, I wonder if that's like a peculiar view of mine or if other people see, see that as well. No, no um, you're not, you're not in a minority actually. It's just because the, the gatekeepers at the top that are the people doing that won't let you talk. <laughs> Well, it, it, yeah. Well, it, it, I guess it, 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 in fairness to the folks at my church, they, they let me talk probably more than they should. Um, so, the uh, favorite film about ghosts starring Patrick Swayze? None. Oh wow! You don't like you don't like ghosts? Really terrible movie. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad you enjoy it if you do, and I'm glad all I mean, the other people enjoy it. 
you know, I don't love it. It's a bit, it's a bit over the top with the romantic stuff. But there's, there's bits that are good. I like the, uh, I like him um, singing Henry VIII by Herman's Hermits on a loop until Whoopi Goldberg will do what he wants. Yeah, I mean, yeah, whatever. It's kind but, of funny. Yeah, Patrick Swayze to me more, whatever. Go, live in film royalty, but I'll pass. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, most influential theological book for you, excluding the Bible. Uh, I would say, man, that's so, there's so many different levels of that question. Um, whew. first one that comes to mind has that the Book of Enoch. Okay, interesting, interesting. I was thinking you'd, you'd name something in the last few hundred years, but you went a, you went a little deeper than that. Yeah, I'll go back right. to First Temple Judaism. Right. So you're a pastor of a church that sings without musical instrumentation. Um, is your favorite NWA song the one where Yella makes it a cappella and Dre expresses that he doesn't smoke weed or cess because it's known to give a brother brain damage and brain damage on the <laughs> mic don't manage nothing but making a sucker and you equal? Well, that, we have the congregation stand up and sing that, say that the, that's every Sunday. Okay. So, yes. Yeah, so the answer to that would be yes. That would be yeah, your favorite yeah, sure. NWA song. All right. Uh, last question. Favorite horror film? Favorite horror film. I am in love with the Conjuring series um, because of the accuracy of it, um, for the most part. Um, I love that. But ultimately, if I'm going to say like favorite horror film, like top of the top that I'll always sit on and watch, it's either going to be the movie Abyss or Event Horizon. Really interesting. Yes. So I, I I have Abyss, but I haven't seen it. And I, I think I only watched Event Horizon like in the last year because my, because my wife had it. Um, yeah, that was kind of interesting. Event Horizon like kind of the, terrifying. It's kind of like the ghost in space kind of thing. Yeah. Space. And ghost. also so many like mind twists and right. all that stuff. Gotcha. We, we, we've gotten um, our daughter, Ava, we, we've kind of tried to go into some of the old the old classics. So she's, I asked her the other day what her favorite horror movie was. And she first she said The Thing. And then she said, or Psycho. So I was, I was pretty impressed with that. Was the thing answer. is a good choice. Solid choice. All oh, the effects are so good. That's what I, I think I love about some of those um, 80s um, horror movies is they, they didn't have the option to use computer generated effects, you know. And so you watch movies like American Werewolf in London and like where the transformation where he's turning into the werewolf and you see like his body stretching out and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. good and um and yeah the stuff on the thing too the, all, all the effects on the thing are just amazing and so gross i love it all right uh well scott you have been more than generous with your time so i am going to end this recording and i want to thank you for taking time to do this uh folks need to check out his show the legion of exorcists uh because it's cool and it's interesting and it's fun it's on the travel channel if you don't have cable like i don't you can watch it on Max or just get a free trial just for a month and you can watch the show because there's only a few episodes 
It's a fair, fairly short season. Was it maybe eight episodes, something like that? Six. Six? Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, so you, can get, you can get through that and then move on to the Larry Sanders show or something. Curb your enthusiasm, whatever you want. All right. So, <laughs> thank you. I cannot Scott, as a pastor recommend com- thir- Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, Scott. All right. Thanks, brother. I love it, man. Anytime. Letting him lead that sober breeze, riding his coat.